millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're continuing to make great progress as a company, setting new records on each of the most important financial metrics for Q3. Overall, we delivered just over 240,000 cars, 20% higher than last quarter and 70% higher than the same quarter last year. We were also able to achieve an annualized production run rate of over 1 million cars towards the end of the quarter. The increase in production rate has primarily been driven by further ramping of the Model Y at our Shanghai factory. Additionally, we have made great progress increasing production volumes of Model S and have recently started the ramp and deliveries of Model X. It will take a bit more time to get this program back to prior volumes, but based on demand, we are targeting to exceed historical production levels. We have also completed the transition of our Shanghai factory as our main export hub. This has enabled us to supply more vehicles to the North America market and to introduce Model Y to Europe. Due to part shortages and logistics variability, we have not been able to run our factories at full capacity. It's important to note that while we have roughly doubled deliveries year to date, this has been exceptionally difficult to achieve. I want to thank our supply chain team for their incredible work and our production teams for showing impressive flexibility as we make adjustments real time. This team's expertise in the chip industry across all tiers has made a huge difference when managing through these challenges. Additionally, we never reduced our production forecast with our suppliers as we're adding capacity as quickly as possible. I also want to thank our suppliers for their dedication and partnership to Tesla. Despite these increases in production and generally higher prices, our backlogs are continuing to grow and average customer wait times are extending. The only practical way to address this in the immediate term is to do everything we can to build more cars on our existing production lines, which is where we are focused. Similar dynamics are also playing out in our storage business, as we are working to expand Powerwall and Megapack production as quickly as parts and cells allow us to do so. Additionally, we have made good progress on the in-house battery manufacturing program, and we're excited to have expanded the full self-driving beta program to more customers. Financially, our auto gross margins reached 30.5% on a gap basis, and just under 29% excluding regulatory credits, which is our strongest yet. This benefit primarily comes from higher volumes, particularly out of the Shanghai factory, increased mix of the Model Y, as we, and we have made good progress increasing Model S volumes. The Model S has now returned to positive gross margin, and we expect this to increase with higher production and the ramp of Model X. As was the case in Q2, there was some net benefit from pricing actions. However, this remains small in the context of other contributors. 
Please keep in mind that given backlog, it will take time for the impact of recent changes to flow through our financials. Note that we are also not yet recognizing additional revenue from the FSD beta program. Supply chain challenges, including expedites, continue to provide cost headwinds, as was also the case with FX this quarter. While we are seeing an impact from the rise in commodity and labor costs, we have also been adjusting pricing, which should help to compensate. Overall, as I mentioned in our last call, our P&L continues to benefit from the marginal profitability of each incremental unit with higher fixed cost absorption. As a result of the grace progress on margins, volume, and appropriate management of overhead costs, we were able to achieve an operating margin of just under 15%, exceeding the long-term guidance we've laid out previously. On cash, we generated record operating cash flows of $3.1 billion and continue to invest heavily in the build-out of manufacturing, supercharging, and service capacity. We also continue to retire high interest rate debt, including the early settlement of our 2025 senior notes of $1.8 billion during the quarter. As we look forward, we are clearly quite a bit ahead of the pacing required to achieve our target annual growth rate of 50% this year. Q4 production will depend heavily on availability of parts, but we are driving for continued growth. We are also nearing assembly of our first production cars in Austin and Berlin. It's important to stress, while the first production car is an important milestone, the hardest work lies ahead in the ramp. Please keep in mind that we are pushing the boundaries on new product and manufacturing technologies at these factories, which makes it difficult to predict the exact pace of the ramp. These factories will also partially weigh on our margins as we work towards volume production. Overall, I'm very proud of what the team has accomplished and I'm excited for our next phase of growth into Q4 and into 2022. The team has done a tremendous job improving our financial health in a short period of time, while also continuing to improve our precision and pace of execution. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host. I almost, I, I briefly forgot how I introduced the show. You would think that that would be something that's ingrained, but every now and again, I completely bank, blank, and I'm not really sure how to introduce the show. Anyway, I have a great show for you this week. It's one of my favorite shows to do. We are going to talk about Tesla's 2021 Q3 earnings. And you've already heard the opening remarks, and usually the opening remarks are done by Elon, but Elon is not on this conference call. He said on the last earnings call that he wouldn't, he would kind of step away from these unless it was a really important uh, conference call. So true to his word, he's not on this at all. And we heard from Zach Kirkhorn. Now, I don't think Zach said anything that was groundbreaking. So I, I don't have much to go over there. It seems like they're on a steady pace and overwhelmed like everybody is. I would like to address one thing in the opening remarks, though, and this is something that's really personal to me, is in the background, you hear a bunch of little chimes as if somebody is texting him. And I'm going to pretend that's Elon. And the reason why I'm very sympathetic to this is because as soon as I step in this room to record the podcast, my family constantly sends me text. Like, I'll get a text from my kids. Can I have a drink of water? 
Or can I play with my toys? These are things that they don't need to ask. These are things that they can just go get and go do. They're nine. They're perfectly capable of doing these things. But for whatever reason, as soon as I step in here, they've got nothing but questions for me. <laughs> and I've already experienced this uh, several times a day. My daughter, for instance, have been in, has been in here no less than three times, and it's taking me 20 minutes to record this two-minute audio piece. But enough of my trials and tribulations. Let's go ahead and get to our first question which is, when are the first vehicles going to come out with the 4680 battery cells? Uh, early next year, from a non-cell perspective, structural battery crash range and reliability testing are on track to be complete this quarter. Um, testing is, to date has gone well, and the Fremont manufacturing line is on track to support. However, uh, similar to what Zach said before, this is a new architecture and unknown unknowns may exist still. Uh, our top priority is ensuring quality in what we deliver. Uh, and from a cell perspective, we are comfortable with the design maturity and manufacturing readiness matching the pack timeline I just mentioned. So sometime early next year, let's just say mid-2022, just to be on the safe side, because there's so many unknown unknowns. And that totally makes sense when it comes to manufacturing. Tesla has come in <laughs> sometimes to their manufacturing plan with a lot of hubris, and then they get uh, they they endure uh, a lot of humility when they actually start doing these things. So I think this is a very good measured response. Let's go ahead and move on to our next question. Do you still expect to start a production of the twenty five thousand dollar model in twenty twenty three? What are the biggest hurdles from now until then? Yeah, we're working on a strategy to increase our production rates as quickly as possible. I think Zach spoke to that well. And we're doing this while um, do, trying to add the least amount of incremental complexity to the business. We don't want to add any new vehicles to our lineup when we're generally in a cell-constrained world. While there is still more runway to grow these existing products, we're focused on Model Y expansion in Austin, Berlin, ramping SNX further in Fremont to restore to past levels while also growing 3NY production in Fremont and Shanghai. As we've mentioned before, after Model Y in Austin, our next product launch will be Cybertruck, and that timing course depends on increasing cell capacity both from our suppliers and through our in-house cell, as well as many other headwinds we face in the supply chain, and completing our currently full plate of products on the table. I'm going to interpret that as, hey, we're already overwhelmed. We already have enough on our plate. We don't need to add more. Please stop asking this question. All right, I skipped a couple of questions simply because the answers that the panel gave were not exactly, how do we say that? They weren't really, they were answers, they reiterated things that they've already said in the past, but there was no new information. This is definitely a much more measured earnings call without Elon there. Um, I will say, you know, when Elon gets going and he starts, you know, kind of ranting and feeling himself, we get a lot of good information from those nuggets. Right now, we are getting a very controlled message from the team. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I just have to go through and tease out that interesting information in a more thorough way than I would if Elon was just shooting from the hip, for instance. But let's go ahead and get to the next question here. Uh, what is Tesla's goal for vehicle production capacity for the four current factories, Fremont, Shanghai, Austin, and Berlin, by 2024? You know, our, our goal as a company here is to grow um, on an average pace of 50% per year. And uh, and so you can extrapolate that out 
you know, that there may be some periods of time in which we're well ahead of that. There could be some periods of time, uh, despite F effort, best efforts, where we're slightly lower than that. Uh, but that that remains the long-term goal of the company. Uh, in in Fremont, you know, we're we're continuing to push the boundaries of what's possible there. You know, over the last 12 months, we've done about 430,000 cars of production, and you know, based upon it everything that we know in the factory, where the bottlenecks are, what the potential is, uh, we're, we're targeting to increase that another 50%. Um, I think that will be a, a difficult goal, but that's the goal that the internal team has, and they're going to continue to push on that. Um, you know, as we look towards Shanghai, we're continuing to push the boundaries there, and we continue to ramp production there as well. So most recently, the ramp of the Model Y uh, which was our biggest contributor of volume in Q3, uh, will continue to ramp that factory. You know, and, and our plans there with time are to to keep growing the capacity in that factory. Um, Austin and Berlin are are interesting factories because you know our first iterations of capacity there are on Model Y, but we've intentionally uh, set these factories in locations in which they have a quite uh, significant amount of land and ability to expand. And so, you know, we'll take Model Y at these factories, you know, we're trying to get to 5,000 cars a week as soon as we can, and then we'll continue to push beyond that, uh, potentially even getting to 10,000 cars per week at those factories. Uh, and then we'll add Cybertruck here in Austin um, and continue to grow from there. So, you know, our, our goal is to get to millions of cars per year over the next couple of years, and then ultimately in the long term, be able to achieve 20 million cars per year. We're going to grow as, as quickly as is feasibly possible with an eye towards a 50% annual growth rate. Right now, a 50% annual growth rate doesn't seem like a lot. That seems doable. But in four or five years, that seems like a really large number and difficult to sustain. And I should clarify, difficult to, to sustain as they're bringing more factories online. I don't think it's impossible. But as they're bringing more factories online, and possibly in India and in some other places, that just seems like it's going to take them longer than they think to get everything up and running at those newer factories. Having said that, when it comes to Tesla putting up new factories, I've been wrong almost every single time on the timeline. So, you know, I don't have a great track record when it comes to this kind of stuff. Our next question is a fantastic question. Right now, the Biden administration is looking at appointing a person, and I, I think her name is Melanie Cummings or Melissa Cummings. I can't quite remember her name off the top of my head. But they're looking at appointing her to the head of the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration. Most of the Tesla fans that I interact with on Twitter are very upset about this because she does not seem to be friendly towards what Tesla is doing. That doesn't mean she's going to do a bad job. That doesn't mean she's a bad person. That also doesn't mean that Tesla fans should, you know, harass her on Twitter like maybe some of them have done. And I'm talking to the point where she's actually made her Twitter account private. And honestly, that's a bad look on us, like the, the people who want this technology, not just for Tesla, but other companies to move forward in terms of aut autonomous driving and electric cars and things like that. But anyway... Let's get to the question. What is your view on the tightening regulatory environment for FSD in the investigation and broad data request by NHTSA? Some of the recent nominees to NHTSA have been publicly critical of FSD, including engaging with short sellers online. How will you manage this environment? 
Thanks, Martin. Yeah, as we have been for years, we, we always engage with NHTSA and other worldwide regulatory bodies to share our knowledge and to work with them on our approaches on both active and passive safety. Um, there are ongoing regulatory inquiries taking place all the time, and especially on the subjects like FSD that are at the cutting edge of technology development. During these investigations, my team, myself, are always cooperative as much as possible. We expect and embrace the scrutiny of these products and know that the truth about uh, their performance and the innovations our products have will ultimately be all that matters. In the end, and as I've said on previous calls, we take safety as a top priority in all our designs. Um, this is because our primary motivation is from a, coming from a team of incredible engineers designing software and hardware that saves lives and prevents injuries. In doing so, we'll continue to be transparent to the public on how our technology is both developing from an autopilot safety data, the latest of which we just shared um, in, the, in the shareholder uh, update. And you can also see and review a wide variety of customer post FSD uh, videos on social media. Right. Yeah, just to add to that, I mean, as Lars said, uh, safety is extremely important for Tesla. Uh, it, it's the right thing to do. And, you know, it, if you look at various independent testing and regulatory testing of our products, you can see the work of the incredibly talented engineers and the results of those tests. And, you know, our, our goal in developing uh, safety-oriented software around the car is to to continue to go beyond what the hardware is able to provide. Uh, if you can prevent a crash from happening, that's the safest way to manage this. And, and I think at a macro level here, what we're seeing, and, and this is entirely understandable and expected, is that you know the automotive industry is going through a transition from uh, the traditional car as we know it to more of a computer software oriented uh, sensor suites around them that can manage uh, things beyond just what the driver manages. And, uh, and regulatory bodies are understandably so, are, are interested in understanding how to regulate in this environment. Uh, and NHTSA is no exception to that. So as Lars mentioned here, I think this is a great thing. Uh, uh, we're excited to partner uh, and we'll work collaboratively with all regulatory bodies uh, who who want to go on the journey to the transition to a software-oriented vehicle. I think this is a fantastic answer. And as I go through this earnings call and I hear more and more from Zach Kirkhorn, who is the second person to talk about this subject, I'm kind of curious if maybe Tesla isn't setting him up to be the next CEO. Maybe Elon has like, okay, we've gotten to a point where I can step down and take a different position in the company. And we need somebody like Zach Kirkhorn, who's very level-headed and can make good decisions. So as we go through this this earnings call, maybe we're listening to uh, the first steps of a transition from Elon to his successor. And now that I've sufficiently gotten us off topic, let's go ahead and get back on topic. I did look up the name and it is Mary Louise Missy Cummings. Sorry about not having that for you earlier. Let's go ahead and jump into our next question. Service remains an issue with uh, appointments available weeks or even months out. Likewise, supercharger wait times have become, an, uh, become an untenable at some locations. What concrete steps is Tesla taking to improve the customer experience in these two key areas? Yeah, I'll, I'll take the service part of this question, Drew. You can take the supercharging part. Um, you know, we have seen an increase uh, in service wait times throughout the summer. And uh, there's a couple of things that have contributed to that. 
based upon the information that we have. You know, the the first is that, um, and I, I think this is kind of uh, not this is not unique to us, is that the, the return to some sense of normalcy in a post pandemic world has happened, I think, more quickly than most people expected. And uh, and what we're seeing here is that that the number of miles that people are driving has increased. Uh, there may have been some demand for service during 2020 or in the early parts of 2021 that customers put off. And so there's a bit of a catch-up that's occurring that, that has increased demand for service. At the same time, in the macro environment here, uh, logistics, moving parts, sourcing parts uh, has become increasingly more difficult, which is a well-known issue in the world right now, as well as, as uh, challenges in the labor market. And so there's kind of this simultaneous increase in demand for service um, where the ability to supply that service uh, has been impacted for the reasons I mentioned. And so, you know, we saw an uptick pr primarily in Europe and North America in service wait times over the course of the summer. And we've been working extremely hard since then to address this. Uh, uh, and we've seen our wait times come down. So this is not the case in every location, but if you think about it from regional average perspectives, we are seeing improvements there. Uh, we remain super focused on adding uh, adding locations. And so over the last year, we've grown our physical footprint of service centers by 35%. We've grown our footprint of mobile repair by over 40%. We're also adding staffing as quickly as we can in the areas that are most impacted by the imbalance of supply and demand for service. But I, I think the most important part about all of this is, uh, and we've said this on calls before, where the best service is no service. <laughs> and so uh, we have been incredibly focused as a company, both on um, the initial quality of our vehicles and reliability of our vehicles. Uh, and we've seen pretty substantial improvements in both of those metrics um, over the long term and over the last couple of quarters. So it, it is something that remains on our minds. We monitor this very closely, but hopefully that's a helpful explanation into the context and what we're doing. Uh, yeah, and on the supercharger side, um, the supercharging team monitors congestion and plans expansion to ensure customer experience with minimal wait times uh, alongside the growth in our vehicle fleet. Um, while we certainly have work to do in, in expanding capacity in some congested areas, average congestion on the network has decreased over the past 18 months. Um, nonetheless, we're not standing still. Uh, we are executing accelerating expansion plans globally. The network has doubled in the last 18 months, and we're planning to triple it over the next two years. Um, and, and even so, on an individual site basis, to combat existing congestion more quickly where it is isolated and problematic, we expedite local relief sites, deploy mobile superchargers, and we try to introduce pricing strategies that encourage more off-peak usage to avoid the waiting. And one, just one thing to add on supercharging. Uh, you know, if you haven't experienced um, our latest iteration of battery packs that can handle fast charge rates in combination with um, our 250-watt kilowatt charging stations, it's pretty incredible. And this is a really important component to supercharging capacity because uh, the faster you can charge, the more charge sessions that you can have on an individual post, uh, the better the customer experience is as you're going on a long-term journey. 
because your supercharging times are lower. Yeah. So, so this is a really important part of the strategy. Supercharging team has done a great job rolling these out. Uh, but um, it requires a combination of both the 250 kilowatt charging and our latest iteration of battery packs. Um, and we've we've also maintained uh, an ongoing roadmap on software improvements, uh, dynamic routing to avoid busy superchargers. That that's actually really helpful. We take the real time busyness of the stations into account when choosing where where to navigate people on their on their uh, road trip. Um, and beyond that, we're also continuing to improve the trip planner itself and how it estimates how much energy people use, so it's not too conservative and asking people to charge more than they need to, which is another thing that can delay a a total trip that is a great question with a great answer i don't have any more to say on that i really like to see what they're doing behind the scenes these are the most interesting things to me and i assume the most interesting things to you as well and speaking of interesting our next question to me anyway is very interesting it's all about the fsd take rate after they introduced the subscription service so if you remember the take rate for fsd was actually very low and I can't remember, I think it was in the single digits. I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but it was it was pretty low. So I'm interested to hear, has it improved? Is it the same? Has it gone down? What's the take rate? How has FSD take rate changed since the introduction of monthly subscription? Are there any plans to increase the FSD pricing as why the release becomes imminent? Um, I'll take the second part of the question first. Um, you know, we're, we won't be providing any kind of forward-looking commentary on our pricing strategy or what may happen here uh, over the near term. Uh, with respect to the first part of the question, uh, this has been an interesting thing for us to unpack within the company. I mean, what, what I'll say just as a general statement before I make a couple of specific comments is that, uh, uh, you know, the things that we learn on FSD subscription today are, are not necessarily all that relevant um, th- this is really more of a platform uh, for when FSD beta goes into wide release and the features and functionality become more accessible to more customers. The, the second thing that I'll note is that you know, if, you, if you look at the pricing, the monthly pricing of FSD subscription, and then you compare that to the cost of either rolling FSD option into your lease or your loan, you know, on a monthly basis, the most economical way for a customer to enjoy the features of full self-driving uh, is through purchasing it up front and, and rolling it through their financing. And, you know, as a result of that, what we've seen in the data is just not we're, we're unable to detect a change in the upfront take rate of FSD when people purchase cars. We have seen quite a bit of activity of folks curious to experience what the software has to offer. Uh, and subscribing to it and enjoying it through that route. Um, but again, as I said at the beginning, you know, I, I think what we've seen so far on FSD subscription is, is not terribly relevant. You know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out in the future as we continue to release more features. So it sounds like no real change here. And honestly, I'm not surprised. Now, I will give them the benefit of the doubt that I think this came out in July and we're only three months into this. So Maybe there hasn't been enough time to really get some good data. That that totally makes sense. I'll give you the benefit of that out there. But my personal belief is, is that the subscription and the full self-driving, the cost of full self-driving itself is just too high. I just think it costs way too much money for the stage that it's in right now. I think the super geeky and the super loyal to Tesla, they're the folks that are going to buy this. And then there are other folks who are 
interested in this technology, but they're not going to lay out $10,000 or make a commitment to $200 a month for a subscription or for that, that big, um, all at once price. And then you just have people who want nothing to do with it. They just want to buy the car because the car is cool and they don't want any or for eco reasons and they don't want the, the full self-driving stuff. They don't really care about it. Now, having said that, when I actually get my Tesla, whether that end up being a Model Y or a Cybertruck, because right now I'm kind of in between since the delay on the Cybertruck, it'll definitely have the 4680 batteries and it will definitely have the full self-driving package unless Tesla raises the price again. Because I just can't see myself spending that much money for a promise to the this to this point they have not been able to fulfill. And along these same lines, uh, the next question has to do with getting a some sort of credit or a discount on the next time you buy a, a new Tesla and FSD. So let's go ahead and listen in here. Can Tesla allow for FSD to be transferred to another vehicle at a fee, something less than 10k? Early adopters are paying the price if they want to upgrade their vehicle. You lose the value on the trade uh, trade in, and now you have to buy in at the higher cost. I don't think that this is widely known, but we're already actually doing the sentiment of what this question is asking. Uh, if you trade in your Tesla uh, to Tesla, uh, we, there's a, a difference in price that we pay for a, a, a trade in that has FSD compared to one that doesn't. And um, and so there's there's that premium that we pay to repurchase the FSD. That money can then be applied towards the purchase of a new car. So I, I just you know I, we hear this feedback quite a bit. We see it on social media. We see it in the forums, etc. And um, uh, and so this already does exist. Not not directly in the form here, and and we don't call it out explicitly in the trade-in. Potentially that we have increased the price of your trade-in as a result. Um, and hopefully this clears this up because we do actually do that. All right. That is awesome. I'm glad that they do that. Here's what I'd like to see them do. One is when you trade your vehicle into Tesla, them actually say, hey, you have full self-driving. We're going to give you this much more for your vehicle. So that way, the person who owns the vehicle or is trading in the vehicle knows what they're getting back. I think that would be great because this is, this is 100% a communication problem on Tesla's side because I've been doing these earnings calls for five years and this is the first time I've heard about this. I'm not saying they don't, they haven't mentioned it, but this is the first time I remember really like getting the, hey, let's set the record straight. Second, there should probably be something that Tesla does for the people that don't want to sell it to back to Tesla. Maybe they want to sell it to their cousin, or maybe they want to sell it to CarMax because they can get a better deal. And if Tesla was to say, hey, listen, if you sell it back to us, we're going to give you a $3,000 credit. But if you sell it to a third party, we're going to give you a $1,500 credit or whatever, whatever it is. I think that they would earn a lot of really, they would earn goodwill from their customers by being transparent about this and pointing out how much of a discount you're going to get. Like if you buy a Chevy and then you trade that Chevy in for another Chevy, you, you get a, you get a little break off the new car you're buying. Uh, Tesla should reward their customers with some loyalty points. Like whatever that looks like, they need to reward their customers. I think that's just what people are really asking here because they bought into something that Tesla hasn't delivered yet. And then they upgrade on the next promise that Tesla has, and maybe they won't deliver on it then. The least Tesla could do is like give them a, a good break, a good discount from, from what, what it actually costs. 
Speaking of a company selling a product that it can't deliver on, would you like to subscribe to my Patreon? For $1, you get rid of all of the ads. And in most situations where I remember to take it out, you get rid of the Patreon plug as well. So you go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt or support kilowatt.com. And then all the ads go magically away. You get your own feed completely ad free. You also get any sort of bonus content I put out. Patreon.com forward slash kilowatt. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm going to skip over a question, but basically the question was, when are we going to get a Cybertruck update, like a real one with good meat on it? And the answer was, nah, we're working on it. Not anytime soon. So moving on to the next question. Oh, and I should say we're out of the say.com questions now and we're into the analyst questions. So let's go ahead and listen to the analyst question. I actually, I'm very intrigued by uh, what you guys are doing on the insurance front. Uh, and so you have now in the market um, in Texas uh, an insurance product for which uh, the premium varies in, uh, as a function of the safety score of the driver. And so I'd, I'd love to hear you about that. You know, you must have some initial data points about market reaction. You know, what's the uptake? Uh, and from there, can you tell us about how you think you're going to distribute that? Is that going to go through? Uh, your install base very easily, or is it going to be like a heavy marketing push? And, and then maybe tell us about your expansion plans. You know, what are the next geographies? What's the timing? How fast is that business line likely to grow in the next few years? Yeah, thank you, Pierre. Um, I'm I'm extremely passionate about our insurance product. Uh, we have a terrific team here at Tesla of folks who have been spending a lot of time developing this. They're probably listening to the call, so. 
Um, we're, we're pretty excited so far, Pierre. So, I mean, at, at the highest level here, you know, we entered the insurance market uh, kind of unintentionally, I would say. You know, our customers were coming to us complaining that the price of traditional insurance was too high and it was reducing the affordability of a Tesla. And part of our journey here at Tesla is we want as many people as possible to be able to afford our products. That's extremely important to achieving the mission of the company. And if you look at the price of insurance as a percentage of what somebody's monthly payment is, it's quite high. And we spend extreme amounts of effort in manufacturing to take $5 of bomb cost out here or $10 out somewhere else. If we can get um, you know, $5, $10, $20, $30 out on a monthly payment, you can calculate what that means in terms of reduction of, of the price of the car if you finance it. And the leverage of improving insurance cost is huge in terms of affordability. And so th that's kind of the context by which we stepped into this. As we started to do more research, um, you know, essentially the tools by which the uh, insurance is traditionally calculated uh, are optimized based upon the existing data, but the existing data is limited. So they there's a focus on things like marital status or age or um, uh, other attributes like that. You know, accident history is a good one, et cetera. Um, but what, what essentially happens here is uh, customers who are low risk um, and, and don't actually file many claims end up overpaying on their insurance relative to their cost. That overpayment then goes to riskier customers who are essentially being subsidized. And, you know, as we looked at this and we looked at the data, we thought this, this just doesn't seem like it's fair. Uh, you know, at Tesla, because our cars are connected, because they are essentially computers on wheels, there's enormous amounts of data that we have available to us to be able to assess uh, the attributes of a driver who's operating that car and whether those attributes uh, correlate with safety. Um, because we do get a signal when a car has been in an accident. So we've been spending our time looking, looking at, you know, hundreds of different variables uh, and also looking at billions of miles of driving history. And we've been able to fit a model that, um, that uh, is able to predict with decent accuracy the probability of collision over a period of time. And, and the model is not perfect, right? The model is a function of the data that we have available. That data set continues to grow. We continue to experiment with, with new variables, but we do have a model that, um, that, that works pretty well so far. And, and from that model, being able to predict frequency of collision, we can then align that against a price curve. And we can have indi individualized pricing uh, integrated into the car, integrated into the app, integrated into that customer's experience with a feedback loop back to the customer on how they are driving after every drive, the attributes that they were successful on or unsuccessful on, and the tips of things that they can do to improve their safety. Uh, so that's what we've developed. We then included the safety score as a part of the FSD beta enrollment program where you know, we have almost 150,000 cars currently using the safety score, uh, and I believe the latest data is over 100 million miles of driving. So we've been able to go back and analyze that data. 
And we've learned two things coming from that. The first is that uh, the probability of collision for a customer using a safety score versus not is 30% lower. It's a pretty big difference. It means that the product is working and customers are responding to it. The second thing that we've looked at is what is the probability of collision based upon actual data as a function of a driver's safety score? Uh, and that is aligning with our models. Most notably, you know, if you're in the top tier of safety compared to lower tiers, you know, there's you know, multiple X difference in probability of collision based upon actual data. So, you know, this is a, a very new and very exciting frontier for us. I, I know that was long-winded, but I, I, we spent a lot of time on this and we put a lot of thought into it. Spe- specifically with respect to the rollout, uh, the insurance industry in the U.S. is intensely regulated, and it's regulated on a state-by-state level. That means that we require regulatory approvals from each individual department of insurance at each individual state. Uh, Texas is the first state that we launched in. Um, I do want to thank the, the Texas insurance regula- regulators here. You've been great to work with. We have a roadmap of, of additional states. We will launch the product in those states as we receive regulatory approvals. And our goal is to be in every major market in which we have cars in. Um, the, the, we, we did a soft launch in Texas, um, was it last week? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what we're seeing in initial take rate data is that, um, you know, if you compare that to what we're seeing in California, uh, we're, we're off to a good start here. So, Uh, We're very excited about it. We're excited about individual risk-based pricing. We're excited about the ability for folks to become safer and, as a result, save money. And it feeds into our priority of a company uh, of of building the safest products in the world. Yeah, if I can add to that, just it's really exciting for the engineering team to see the finance team uh, and and taking on you know safety into their uh, world too. It's it's just pervasive. So thanks for that, guys. So if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, this is not new information, honestly. And on top of that, I mean, we we actually discussed this last week. So if you've even only listened to one other episodes besides this one, uh, this is not new information. So I want to move on here. There was a couple of questions that analysts asked that had already been answered. And they asked them maybe in a different way so they could get maybe pull some extra information out of it. But the panel stayed on topic. And I can just, I'll sum it all up for you right now. Uh, the supply chain's a mess. Cars are delayed. They're trying to build them as fast as they possibly can. And Tesla's pricing strategy is more transparent than other companies, for instance. And they don't just randomly uh, increase or decrease the price of the products. They actually put a lot of thought into it. So that's kind of, that kind of sums up about, uh, I don't know, 15 minutes of questions right there. The next question we're going to hear is from a gentleman who offers up an atomic level of snark. Like, um, it's borderline snottiness. Like, some of it's funny, and I'm, I, I don't mind snotty, snarky, uh, questions because they do liven up the, the question and answer portion of this. But, uh, yeah, he, he throws a whole lot of shade, uh, while still trying to be nice. And he asks about four questions in a row. So he, not only does he throw a lot of shade onto Elon, um, who's not there 
he asks a bunch of questions where everybody else is asking one or two. So let's go ahead and listen to that. Uh, by the way, great to hear there's a team at uh, Tesla, not just a one-person show. Um, I want to drill down a bit more on FSD. Um, you know, in December of 2020, in a Business Insider interview in Germany, uh, your leader said that he expected level five autonomy by December within a year. So that would be now. Um, yet, you know, we look at the progress in FSD and, you know, some of the issues you see on YouTube. And it looks very much like a level two, two plus system that requires um, vigilance, as in fact your disclaimers say. So I guess three questions. Kind of one, what is the timetable to get to level four, at least capability? We can deal with the regulatory stuff later. Um, two, you know, what is the criteria for Zach for you to release revenue, deferred revenue around FSD? And is having a level two system that needs monitoring enough to release that deferred revenue? Um, and then three, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit more about how you plan to work with the new um with the folks at NHTSA who appear to be um, you know, asking some questions. They have three requests out to you regarding information around the level two, around the capabilities of FSD. Yeah, so I guess we'll take them in order. Um, you know, it's difficult to be specific on the timelines. Uh, uh, in the autopilot team is working extremely hard, uh, iterating on every version. Uh, we are being extremely transparent, you know, through the release of this to public customers who are posting information online. So, you know, when you're using full self-driving and you're going through the iterations, you can feel the progress. And uh, for those who don't have it in their cars, you know, social media is excellent at getting a sense for how that's progressing. Uh, and the team is moving quickly uh, with every iteration, with every update, uh, and they're working very hard on that. Um, on your second question about the criteria to release deferred revenue, um, the, the way that this works is, you know, we have made certain commitments as uh, as to what this this product can offer at the time that a customer has purchased that. And so what we have to assess is, you know, have we met those commitments and is uh, the software uh, uh, widely available to the folks that we've made those commitments to uh, within a certain geography? And, you know, given that FSD is still currently in the beta phase, uh, it's invitation only and it's limited, uh, we have not deemed that to be appropriate for recognition of deferred revenue. And we'll continue to evolve this. Uh, we'll continue to monitor it within the finance team uh, um, to see when we get to the milestones in which we're comfortable releasing. Uh, on the NHTSA question, Lars, do you want to take that? Sure. I mean, as I said earlier, uh we always cooperate fully with, with, with NHTSA and other regulatory bodies in, in any sort of investigation they may have, particularly related to, you know, ADAS systems when they came out with the standing general order in July. We, we, we were quick to respond to that and, and one of the first and only companies capable of actually meeting the, the needs of, of that report. Um, we continue to send that information to them um, as required, you know, weekly and, and as incidents occur. Um, and with the additional investigations, um, as I said, we, we meet that with with uh, great sincerity and we'll, we'll work through them one by one to make sure that all the facts come out and, and, and that NHTSA is well informed about our strategies for both active safety in this case, but also passive safety. Um, as you guys may know, we released um, 
updates to our airbag and restraint system last week to Model Y using our fleet data. Um, we worked closely with NHTSA on that, um, and, and they were fully in the loop before we did it. So um, I, I think these kinds of things will continue to, to, to happen in the, the new regulatory space that Zach uh, discussed um, as we move towards a software-based vehicle, and, and we're happy to be a part of that journey. Okay, so that, that was three questions, not four questions. My bad. Uh, we didn't get a, a great answer on timeline. It's ready when it's ready, basically. We didn't get a great answer on the criteria for releasing those funds. Basically, once we hit whatever milestone they set inter- internally, then they'll start releasing those funds for full self-driving. And they continue to stay on message with the NHTSA question. So um, I I do have something to say about the NHTSA thing. Last week, when I talked about this, I was very tired. I was under a lot of stress. And... <laughs> And it was maybe a little emotional. Uh, I got a lot of really good uh, emails on people checking to make sure I'm okay. I'm fine. Like I was just stressed out that day. They had a lot going on. Um, but then also wh- when I talked about NHTSA, uh, I got a lot of really good emails that came in that kind of clarified some things for me. And hopefully I'll have time maybe next week to go over those. I don't want to take too much more of your time now because we're already at 45 minutes into this. But I do want to thank everybody for reaching out. One to make sure I'm okay. I'm as a, as a general rule, I'm, I'm a really even keeled person, uh, so I'm fine. And then also, I, I want to thank people for coming in and giving me a different perspective with the NHTSA stuff. And uh, I don't think there was one person that provided feedback that I didn't agree with. And like I said, hopefully, I'll go over that next week if if we have time i'm just going to be 100 percent honest with you next week's going to be a very short show because i have my test um on november 1st so um pretty much all of my time except for the the time that i've spent doing this which is about a total of four hours now and, and i had some breaks in between but this you know other than this podcast i've pretty much been studying nonstop. Uh, sleep and study is pretty much where i am at right now in my life so anyway um the next question is about some of the differences between giga berlin and giga austin or giga texas so let's go ahead and listen to that and there is also a uh, a question on sourcing the external metal for the Cybertruck. I had two quick questions. Uh, first is uh, regarding uh, the two upcoming factories uh, in Berlin and Austin. Who are the two factories different from each other? Maybe in the layout, design, assembly lines. And the second question is related to Cybertruck. Uh, who is the supply looking uh, looking at? Uh, if you look at the exoskeleton steel, uh, is the supply for that material sufficient? for uh, immediate ramp-up, uh, say, in 23, 24 time for Cybertruck? That's all for me. Uh, yeah, sure. So, obviously, uh, as, as we've noted in the past, we've developed uh, you know, our, own, our own stainless steel grade for the exterior Cybertruck to meet both the durability and corrosion requirements required for an automotive world. Um, with this raw material and others, as Drew mentioned, we continue to look at multiple sources. Um, we have made some early sourcing decisions in that, but I think we'll keep that one um, internal. And we've already began um, the first casting ins of that. You know, rolling stainless isn't so different from from rolling any other uh, material. It's just about how hard the rollers are to get to that hardness level. 
And, um, you know, just like every manufacturing process we put in for every new vehicle, we'll work with uh, our suppliers and vendors to make sure those timelines and supply meet the need and demand of our customers. And on the differences between Austin and uh, Berlin, uh, there are some. Uh, they're largely associated with the, the different sort of building architectural choices that were, you know, ha- happened to occur uh, in collaboration with like local codes and, and, and other sort of governing requirements that drive the differences in the architecture between the locations. Um, in general, though, like we're trying to progress the manufacturing system as a system and make sort of logical, like path defined improvements from factory to factory. And in some cases, there was an improvement identified between like decisions for one Austin, the other Berlin or vice versa. And so there might be a slightly newer iteration of one part of the factory in one place than the other, but there it's all part of a, like a path forward in the factory that builds the machine, the machine that builds the machine. Sorry. All right. That is all the questions. We did have one last question that was very long and drawn out, but it was basically, uh, are we still on target to, hit production at Giga Berlin and Giga Austin in ten, in or Giga Texas in 2021 and the answer is yes that is still Tesla's goal however you know they they may fall short they they think they can produce the vehicles but they don't think they can deliver the vehicles in 2021 which i think is a fair answer and a fair goal all right that is our show this week. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank everybody. If you made it to this point, thank you so much for listening to the entire show. I really appreciate that. If you want to email me, you can do so. Bodie, B-O-D-I-E at 918digital.com. You can also find me on Twitter at 918digital. And I hope you all have a wonderful week. And I will talk to you next Friday. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.